The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to go back to the book of Acts this morning. We'll begin in Acts chapter 2, and we've been trying to consider the various attributes of a thriving kingdom that we see in the church, the church in its first love stage here in the book of Acts. And this morning, we'd like to focus on prayer. Now, obviously, we need to be devoted in our own individual prayer lives, but this morning, we really want to focus in the, the prayers in the collective body of the church that we see the church meeting together many times throughout the book of Acts to pray publicly and to, play, <clears throat> and to pray collectively uh, as a unified body praying unto the Lord. So to introduce this here in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 42, we know these verses very well. <clears throat> After 3,000 members were added to the church, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now notice the collective nature of this verse. And they continued steadfastly, right? Now we need to each individually continue steadfastly in prayer. We need to each individually remain devoted to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread, and we need to have a private devotion in prayer. But this is speaking of the church together. They continued in prayer in the, in the collective body of the church, and I believe that we see that exhibited all throughout the book of Acts and really all throughout the New Testament. Um, the only way that the church will really be growing and thriving in prayer is if each of the individual members of the body are growing, right? So we want to make, certainly make the point that we all need to have that private, closet, secret devotion time with the Lord. It's vitally important for your personal discipleship, and when you have every single member of the body doing that, that's how the church grows in prayer, right? Uh, so it all starts, the basic building blocks of the church growing is each individual <laughs> member of the body growing, right? And that certainly in tr is true in prayers as well. And we've dealt with that in the past. We dealt with that very in-depth on the radio. Lord, teach us to pray and all the various aspects of that. And those are on Macedonia's website if you'd like to listen to those anytime. So we all need to have a, a zealous, fervent, devoted, intimate relationship with the Lord in secret devotion in prayer, right? And something that has been very heavily on my mind the last uh, probably few years because every time I consider prayer and I really meditate on it, at each interval where I do that, I'm yet again reminded of how inadequate I am in my prayer life. And I'm many times reminded that you will never be useful in the kingdom. You will never be any more useful in the kingdom than you are in your private, secret devotion and fellowship with the Lord, particularly in prayer. You will never be great in the kingdom unless you're great on your knees in prayer. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? You will never be very useful in the kingdom if your personal, private fellowship with the Lord, which is primarily dictated when no one's watching, right? If that relationship is not growing and thriving and being strengthened on a daily basis by private, secret, fellowship with the Lord, both in prayer and in meditation and in daily Bible reading, then you will probably not be growing very much in your personal discipleship, and 
if you have enough people that are stagnant in their prayer life and in their private devotion, that's when the church as a whole gets stagnant, right? So it all stems back to private, personal, secret devotion. And really, at the end of the day, what we're talking about here in the book of Acts, okay, we've been talking about all these different attributes of a thriving kingdom. It's kind of similar to the fruit of the Spirit, right? We talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and really what those are, it's a singular fruit. They're not nine fruits, plural of the Spirit. There's one fruit of the Spirit, and these are the attributes by which you identify the Spirit as it's being worked out. And really that's what we're talking about here in the book of Acts. We are seeing the attributes that are manifested publicly, but what is the internal cause of all of that? Really, it's the same as the fruit of the Spirit. It is a, it is a church that is being guided moved and just filled up with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, right? So that's what happens when the church as a whole is, is seeking the, the movement and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It will be exhibited in many different ways. It will be exhibited in you growing in your personal prayer life, but it will also be exhibited by the, this desire to have spontaneous prayer meetings, if you'll just kind of let me use that, that language, because that's what we see in the book of Acts. We just see them naturally popping up. We see a, a devotion and a, and a manner, if you will, of prayer, and that's kind of what we do on Sunday. Paul, Paul uh, when he went to a city, uh, he was a very learned man, a very educated man, so when he went to a city, he used a lot of that, that learning and education, and when he went to a new city, his manner his custom of uh, methodology when he showed up in a new place was, first of all, to go to the synagogue, go, go to the place where people uh, highly value the Word of God, and I'm going to get around to preaching in the marketplace, but I'm going to start with the people that at least have a high view of, of the Old Testament Scriptures, right? So he had a structure to his daily actions, and we need to have that structure because if you don't, <laughs> uh, the, the root word of uh, disciple is discipline, right? And if you don't have discipline, you're not going to be much of a disciple. So you need to have discipline. Make sure you have daily reading and daily discipleship. But also, when there are needs, when there are needs that arise in the body, the, the body of Christ should be functioning in such a way where even if it's not the entire membership, individual members of the church are meeting together to pray for specific needs. And yes, your private individual prayers are important and vital and you need to be praying without ceasing because that's our duty but we see here in the book of acts there is something special about the church and multiple members of that church meeting together in unity to beseech the lord and the throne of grace and we see the lord moving in that and that should just be a natural organic activity of the church right is when there's a need when there's a need we don't have to say okay well you know our regularly scheduled sunday service or our regularly scheduled prayer meeting it's not anything wrong with having a regularly scheduled prayer meeting i think that's a very positive thing to do to have a manner and a structure but i'll tell you there are needs where we need to drop what we're doing and have a prayer meeting on a tuesday night and if everybody can't be there anybody that can come let's come and let's beseech the throne of grace because there is this is a great time of need. And that should be happening all the time in the kingdom when the Spirit of God is moving in a, in a manifest way. So we see that there in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 42 that they continued steadfastly in unity and one of the main ways that unity is manifested is in these prayer meetings where the heart of the church is all turned in the same way and I think that we'll see that <clears throat> in these examples in the book of Acts. So I'd like to back up to Acts chapter 1. We'd like to just give you a little bit of a survey of these examples in the book of Acts and see the church's steadfast devotion in prayer, especially in a collective sense. So here in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has been resurrected. He has ministered to the 
disciples and the apostles for 40 days, and then he ascends back up into heaven, and he tells them to wait. He tells them to wait on the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then we obviously know what happens on the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost being roughly 50 days after Passover, technically 50 days from the Feast of First Fruits, but it was very close to the Passover. So roughly 10 days, roughly 10 days, they had to wait from the ascension of Jesus Christ going up to the Holy Ghost coming down on the day of Pentecost. So what did they do? You know, <laughs> Jesus was telling them during that last night, he said, I'm going away. He was getting them ready, right? I'm going away. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. You can't go away. You can't go away. We don't know what to do. And then, and now he finally goes away. He goes away. So what do they do? What do they do when he does go away? They do exactly what we should do when we're waiting on the movement and the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Wait patiently in prayer and fasting, but individually, but also in the collective body of the church. And that's what we find here in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, he goes back up to heaven, and verse 13 introduces uh, all of the apostles. And then in verse 14, 120 disciples, these all, you know, this was a very important time in the church, right? And rarely is every single member of the body going to be in public worship. It's just not the way it works, the side of glory, right? But in this instance, I think every single one of them... <laughs> were there for this prayer meeting. They all were there. Why? Because this was a very important, critical, crucial time. Because the Son of God, the resurrected Son of God, had just went back to heaven, and we don't really know what we're supposed to do yet, right? So they all continued. And I love this language that is used. We're going to spend a, a message very soon, Lord willing, on that specifically focuses on unity. Okay. I'll tell you, the Lord can do some powerful things with a church that's in unity, with, in one heart and in one soul and in one accord. But one of the ways that we build unity, right, is by these prayer meetings where we're praying together. And we'll consider this more in depth in the future, but it's a sobering fact, but it's biblically true. That if the church is not in unity, then one party or multiple parties are not properly following the leadership of the Spirit and the guidance of the head, right? God's not the author of confusion. He's, he's the author of peace. And do you think that the head of Jesus Christ is sending out conflicting mixed signals to different members of the body? No, he's not. No, he's not. So if the church is not in unity, we all need to look at ourselves first, you know, see if there's a, there's a beam that maybe I need to take care of because uh, you're probably not going to have good vision if there is a mode in somebody else's eye. You're probably not going to have good vision of that. But if the church is not in unity, somebody's not following the direction of the Holy Spirit. And we certainly pray that the Holy Spirit will, will guide and give us clarity for we, what we can do better. And if we need to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, give us the wisdom and the love and the clarity to do that. But there's one of the ways that the church grows in unity is by prayer meetings together. And boy, you see this all throughout the book of Acts, right? This body was moving in perfect unison. The, the right hand was not arguing with the left hand. The, the right foot was, was uh, figuratively was was in perfect unison with the left foot, and the body was just moving and thriving. And one of the ways in which that unity was built is by these prayer meetings together, right? Because I'll tell you, if the Spirit of God is moving in a prayer meeting, if I'm the one, you know, we always have to look in the mirror first, if I'm the one that is not following the leadership of the Spirit, boy, the Spirit's going to give me clarity when it's, it's being specially manifest in this prayer meeting, right? And then that's when I should be introspective and, and say, what can I do better? What can I do better? These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
and with his brethren. Now, not only were they waiting for the uh, guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit, but they had a very important decision to make. What we find here um, through the rest of the chapter is that Judas, he uh, went out and killed himself. So now there was 12 uh, apostles that were originally appointed, and they needed the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit to give them clarity on who would fill that 12th apostle's office. And that's what they end up dealing with here throughout the rest of the chapter. And, and I believe that's an, a very important lesson that when, when we individually, it's very important individually, when we're seeking the, the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in, in our individual decisions, in our, uh, in our personal life, with marriages and relationships and careers and, and housing decisions and all these, all these things that we deal with on a daily basis, I hope that you are seeking the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit in every single one of those actions. And the main way that you seek that is through prayer. Now, I want to skip ahead a little bit here. I want to skip ahead a little bit here to Acts chapter 13. And hopefully, if we have enough time, we'll come back to this. But I believe this language is very important. This language is very important. We also noted here uh, that these, the church there in, in Acts chapter 1 was in one accord in prayer and supplication. And supplication really just speaks of a greater a greater focus, a greater intensity in prayer. And, you know, I, I'm very guilty of uh, probably getting a little bit too vain in my repetitions in prayer, just in the sense of, you know, I know I need to get my, get my prayer list done in the morning, you know. Uh, I think that I am, I am thankful for food that I have to eat, but sometimes those prayers before meals can become a little bit of a vain repetition, and I know I need to say it, and thankfully Bethany's my accountability partner. Most of the time, if it's just me, I'm gonna start eating those fries before I uh, say a prayer. But Bethany, she's the one who's like, we need to make sure we pray, right? Even, and even if I eat, you know, eat the appetizers beforehand, you know, Lord, please bless the food we've already consumed. Thank you for that. <laughs> so she's, she's the one who's usually my accountability partner in, in that. But I will say, I, I, am, I am thankful. I am very thankful for the food that I've been provided. But sometimes those, those prayers get a little, little vain repetitions, right? You know, Lord, thank you for this food. Please bless it according to your will. All right, now let's, let's get to eating, right? And sometimes, sometimes the rest of our prayers can get like that too. And we certainly we need the Holy Spirit to give us clarity in that. But when you are making hard, difficult decisions, when you don't know what the right decision is, you have to be even more focused, concentrated, and intentional in your prayers. And one of the things that is consistently in Scripture associated with that, with that greater intensity is supplication and fasting. Fasting. Now, that's another thing. You know, I've tried it out a few times, and I think the Lord, the Lord answers every prayer is either yes, no, or not now. Okay, so there's been some times that I fasted over something specific. And just because we, this is such an important lesson that I believe was taught to the church here in Acts chapter 1 that we need to learn as well. Just because you fast in a specific time period in that individual prayer does not mean that the next day that prayer is going to be answered. That prayer may be answered a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. You know, thankfully, the church here in Acts chapter 1, they only had to wait 10 days. That's not very long, is it? <laughs> not the big scheme of things. Boy, well, if we could have, always have a 10-day turnaround on some of our prayers, right? <laughs> I mean, that'd, that'd be pretty good, right? If we, had, uh, if we were guaranteed to only have to wait 10 days. But I tell you, we have to pray, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And sometimes the Lord's will is a lot longer than 10 days, okay? But here in Acts chapter 13... Paul and Barnabas are being guided and moved by the Holy Spirit to go on their first missionary journey. And the Lord just amazingly blesses, and, and we know that in the, in the aftermath. But I want, you to, I want you to really notice this language here in Acts chapter 13, which I think is so important for us in our individual lives, but it's also so important in the collective body of the church. Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. Now there were in the church... Uh, that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, and Barnabas and Simeon, 
and she called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manion, uh, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And notice this language, verse 2, Acts 13. And as they ministered to the Lord, that's an important aspect too, right? How do we minister to the Lord? By ministering to the rest of the body of Christ, right? And so as much as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So how do we minister to the Lord? By serving the other members of the body. So they minister to the Lord. They're doing what they're supposed to do. But also they were fasting. They, they made a commitment to forego physical food for a period of time to have a greater focus and devotion and dependency upon the Lord so when the Lord answered that prayer, they would have a clarity of focus to know that it was of the Lord, okay? Now, I don't know your experience. I can only speak from mine, but the times that I've fasted, I haven't necessarily felt as powerful of an answer of prayer in that moment. Many of the time it was in the aftermath of that, okay? But in this moment, in this moment, I want you to notice this language. They ministered to the Lord, they prayed and they fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, how did the Holy Spirit say to them, I've called them for this work? The way that the Holy Spirit typically moves in the, in the New Testament, now I understand the book of Acts, there was a special powerful, miraculous manifestation of the Holy Ghost, right? That is not applicable today, speaking of tongues and healings and many other things. But I believe typically the way that the Lord will guide and speak to you through the Holy Spirit is similar to Elijah when he was under that juniper tree and the Lord, there was a great, uh, great wind that came, but the Lord wasn't in the wind, right? That was a great earthquake. We're going to talk about an earthquake in Acts chapter 4. That was an answer to prayer. But the Lord wasn't in that earthquake. And the Lord also wasn't in the fire. Instead, the Lord spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. So how did the Holy Spirit speak to the apostles and the church there in that time to give them a unity of clarity that this is what they're being called to do. Well, I don't necessarily know how all that worked, but I don't think that it was the Ten Commandments voice of God from heaven speaking over the burning bush, right? That Charleston Heston version of the booming voice of God, right? I don't, I don't think that there was a voice from heaven that said, separate me all in one. No. <laughs> What was it? There was a unity of mind. There was a unity of spirit in the entire church, and they all reached the same conclusion. Now, I, I would encourage you to, to, pray, to, uh, to exercise prayer and supplication and fasting according to your own convictions as you are seeking personal speaking of the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, we all... I've, I've preached on this a couple different times, but I feel like this is something I just need to preach on about every month to myself. In, in, in Acts chapter 11, he said, I mean, in Luke chapter 11, he says, look, if you pray, this is the summary version, if you pray for the Holy Spirit, I will give you the Holy Spirit every single time. And you need to pray for the Holy Spirit every single day. Because as we've discussed with you before, there is no problem that's not made better by the more abundant manifest presence of the Holy Spirit in your daily life. But especially when we are waiting and needing clarity, <laughs> when we don't know what the right decision, we don't know which way to go, and I'm saying, Lord, nevertheless not my will but thine be done, I'll speak to me through your Holy Spirit. In our individual lives, if you do that, by the way, the majority of the time when the Lord speaks to you in that way, that's why it's so important for you to have a consistent, organized routine of secret devotion with the Lord. Because most of the time, he's not... Now, he'll speak to you in public worship. Ain't no doubt about that, right? But most of the time, he's not going to speak to you in traffic, right? When everybody's honking and it's all loud and you're buzzing around in the middle of the day. You want to know where the Lord's primarily going to speak to you? In your private devotions of prayer time with the Lord when all of a sudden there is a burden on my heart that wasn't there before. And you want to know what happens when the whole church 
is praying. We'll talk about this in a collective body of the church. When churches are without pastors, right? You know, yes, I'm thankful that these churches are, are praying individually in their private devotions for the Lord to give us a, a, a pastor. But listen, if a church doesn't have a, a pastor and you, you are still in need of that shepherd, you need to be being moved by the Holy Spirit to have consistent prayer meetings praying specifically for that. And you know what? I think the Lord's just good enough. If you do that, he's going to give you clarity. Like, the Lord is not going to leave. I don't want to be too, too mean. But listen, the Lord, as long as the sheep are still hungry, he's not going to let them starve. But if the sheep get complacent, you know, we got to pray for the Holy Spirit to make us more hungry, right? But boy, if the sheep are hungry, the Lord is not going to let those sheep starve, especially if they are having consistent prayer meetings saying, Lord, give us, you know, even if we don't have a prayer, a pastor at this moment, Lord, keep feeding us, right? Keep feeding us on a weekly basis. And the Lord is not going to leave his, his, his hungering sheep neglectful. Now, when those sheep get lukewarm, when those sheep get get entangled with the affairs of this life and they're more concerned about everything else than church, well, we just pray the Holy Spirit will give conviction and guidance. But when his, when his sheep are hungering, he's not going to leave them starving, is he? No. He's a good shepherd. <laughs> he's going to take care of his sheep. So, yes, if a church is without a pastor, oh, man. But I tell you, if, we, if, if the only time that we feel like that we meet, have a need to meet together for a public prayer meeting is, is these horrible catastrophic things when we're without a pastor or all these bad things, then we're kind of missing the boat a little bit, you know? Uh, hopefully we, we can make our way over to James chapter 5 where it talks about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And if any of you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church to lay hands on, on the, that person that's sick. And we don't do that enough. Okay, I'm not, you know, you follow your own convictions. But I hope that you care enough about the unity of the body of Christ and you value their prayers enough that I want to do that. But if the only time we even ever consider that is if I receive a terminal diagnosis of cancer, then we're kind of missing the boat, right? I mean, we shouldn't have to get to the very last ditch without a pastor dying of cancer to be like, well, you know what? I think now might be a good time to ask the church to pray for me, right? No, it should be a lot more natural and organic than that when the Spirit of God is moving in a special way. So in your individual prayer life, prayer, supplication, especially fasting, I believe if you're praying with the right heart, the Lord will speak to your conscience. He will speak to your soul and give you clarity. And you know what? There's been times... Um, you know, when I accepted the pastor down here, uh, it took me uh, a year to get a job down here. No, no, that, that's backward. A year to get an apartment down here and two years to get a job down here. And boy, if it was up to me, I would have quit my old job the week after I accepted. <laughs> but you know what? That wasn't the Lord's will for it to work out like that. But you know what? I was praying about that. And I said, Lord, give me clarity about the right thing to do. And you know what? I wasn't all that fired up in the moment because, you know, we had another, I was having to do a lot of commuting and uh, had another tax season coming up. So I wasn't all that fired up in a natural sense when the Lord said, not now. Not now. But you know what? That's kind of hard to explain. But I felt the Lord giving me a clarity in my soul and in my conscience that the answer to my prayers was just that simple. In my mind, he gave me a clarity of thought to where he was telling me, at least in that moment, to just say, not now. Not now. Well, I had to grit my teeth doing some things I really didn't enjoy doing in a, in a professional sense during that time period. But you know what? The Lord opened the right door at the right time, and lo and behold, it all worked out just like it was supposed to. So if you are really burdened that... I feel like that this should happen at this moment. Is this the right thing to do? I think the Lord, if you're praying it with the right conscience, not just saying, well, this is what I want. I already have. Boy, I've done that plenty of times. And I think that 
maybe, maybe in the collective body of the church. Maybe we've done this sometimes too. This is our plan that we've already written out. Lord, my prayer is, is have you ever had to get anything notarized, right? <laughs> by the way, side note, what's supposed to happen, what's supposed to happen when you get something notarized is that they're supposed to watch you sign it. So there's a verification that this signature is just authentic. <laughs> if you ever had anything notarized, you want to know, you know how, things, how that really works? You sign it, you go find the notary and say, hey, I need this notarized, right? Well, that's kind of how we treat the Lord in prayer sometimes, right? <laughs> We've already drafted out. This is the best plan. You know, I've already thought about it. I've thought about it for years. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I didn't come up with this, you know, right away. I mean, I've thought about this plan for years. Dear Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Here's my plan. Will you please notarize it, right? <laughs> well, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's not how it works, right? And sometimes we got to wait a lot longer than would be our preference. But I'll tell you, this has been my experience. Many times the Lord will minister to your heart and at least tell you, not now. Not now. It may not be a closed door, but he doesn't want you just stewing and questioning all the time. He wants to give you clarity so you can walk in faithful discipleship in the moment that you're in right there, okay? And I believe many times if we pray with the right heart, he will give us that answer, not now. That's true in a, in a personal discipleship, but that's true in, in, a, in a church setting as well, okay? Okay, well, we're going to have to skip quite a few of these. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. <clears throat> We've referenced this many times during our consideration of the book of Acts. You have the healing of the, uh, the layman in Acts chapter 3. You have uh, Peter preaching, and then 5,000 men join the church. You have the first persecution. They're thrown in prison, and then they're threatened. And then they're threatened to not speak or teach any more in the name of Jesus. That's in verse 18. <clears throat> in verse 19, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, judge ye. But we cannot but speak those things which we have seen and heard. So they've been thrown in prison. They're getting their first taste of persecution. And at least in this interaction with the original threat, they're saying, look, if you think this is wrong for us to keep preaching, that's your business. We're just going to follow the convictions of our spirit and honor the Lord because he called us to be witnesses of his resurrection, and we're going to do it. Now, what was the church's response? What was the church's response to the original taste of persecution. We've talked about persecution in the past. If the Lord's opening doors, we have to expect many adversaries. It's just the way things work, work in this world. Satan is going to try to thwart any advancement in the kingdom of God. And you know what? If we're receiving persecution for that, we're doing something right. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing, okay? But what's the church's first response? <laughs> Well, it's not politically correct American Christians. I'm going to have to stay on the ranch here. Some of these other denominations that are just compromising the Word of God in every single way just because of political pressure, I'll tell you, where would we be at if the original church did that, right? The first threat of like, oh, we're not making everybody happy. Oh, we're, we're inconveniencing some people. Oh, well, let's... Well, they don't like this. Okay, well, we'll just, we'll just kind of tone that part down a little bit. And, you know, we, we won't say that in front of you and all this stuff. No, no, just preach the word and the Holy Spirit will take care of everything else. So what they didn't start doing was acting like American Christians today and be like, oh, no, 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 we can't, we can't offend anybody by the preaching of the gospel. They said, Lord... Things, things have been all gravy up till now. <laughs> now things are getting a little difficult. They didn't say, Lord, please give us the right politically correct words to say. They said, Lord, give us boldness. <laughs> give us boldness to not back up one inch. Because we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. And if we don't let our light shine, and if we're not salty, nobody else is going to do it. So they said, Lord, give us boldness to not back up one inch. Let's go ahead and read this, read this prayer here. But notice, what was the response of the church when they faced persecution? Okay? 
Acts 4, verse 43. And I want you to notice the unity of this church. There were some people saying, oh, well, you know, we probably just need to go along to get along. With one accord, they said, Lord, thou art God, which had made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Uh, let, let's go ahead and just skip to the end here. Verse 30, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, actually verse 29, that's what we need. And now, Lord, behold their threatening. Lord, you know, you know, yes, you know that they've threatened us, but also you know the faults and intents of their heart. You know the wickedness that they are willing to go to to silence the gospel and the kingdom of God. You know it way better than we do. Behold their threatenings. Lord, you know. You know where we're at. You know what we're facing. You know the dangers. Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done uh, by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Now, the Lord doesn't always answer a prayer meeting with an earthquake, right? And as we talked about Elijah, the Lord's not always in the earthquake. <laughs> but I'll tell you, if maybe I was a little bit nervous, you know, I was praying the, the yeah, I, I hope I'm praying the right thing for boldness, but I, I, they still had a little bit of, of fear down in their heart. You know they did. But I'll tell you, as soon as, if we said amen, <laughs> As soon as we said amen, the floor shook. I think I'd have a lot more boldness, right? And you know what? The Lord certifying his answer of their prayer with an earthquake was enough for them to say, I don't care with these Pharisees. I don't care if I get thrown in prison. By the way, the Lord's just letting people out of prison left and right. What does that matter if I have to stay overnight? The Lord's probably going to let us out the next day out the front door, right? Who cares if I get thrown in prison? Why? Because the Lord's in charge of that prison. <laughs> He's in charge of everything. So they said, Lord, give us boldness. He answered their prayer with an earthquake. And boy, you know that emboldened them, right? And what happened in the aftermath of that? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, I'll tell you, the Lord's not giving you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we need to be reverential, right? But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be afraid of man. You're not going to be afraid of the threatenings of men. They were filled with the Holy, Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Boy, I tell you, we have not because we asked them. <laughs> they asked for boldness. Guess what? The Lord gave them boldness. How about that, right? And look what happened in the aftermath of it. Look what happened in the aftermath of this prayer meeting. The multitude of them that believed, notice this unity, were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, and they had all things common. I skipped to Acts chapter 6 very quickly. We've considered the daily ministration here. The church was, was growing. People were being very generous. They were caring for the widows in their community. And the, the daily ministration was, was, was hindering the ability of the, the apostles to give themselves, as it says in verse 4 here, continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That full-time ministry that is fully devoted to, to fighting and laboring on your behalf. Praying, now, now I, I try to pray for you on a, on a daily basis. But boy, it sure would be nice to have an extra four hours to pray for you on a daily basis, right? And uh, I think uh, hopefully you view the ministry that way too. Boy, it'd be great to have uh, the, these men of God praying for me even more on a daily basis and studying the Word of God even more on a daily basis to where they are equipped to help me during a time of need. So then they they appoint apostles, uh, they appoint a deacons to care for this business. And I want you to notice in the collective body of the church the way in which they set apart men for a specific work. And this is what we would know as a, as a deacon ordination, right? Now, if you sat through an ordination, there are, there are procedures that we go through in the midst of that ordination uh, and, you know, votes and presbyteries and all that. But what the ordination is, you have a questioning to make sure a person's uh, valid. You have the questioning, questioning of the church and all that. But the ordination, what that is, 
is the laying on of hands and the prayer. That is the ordination. And then you have a charge to give them encouragement for now that you've been ordained, this is what you need to do. But the laying on of hands and that prayer is the ordination. The rest of it is just the way in which we traditionally go about the overall process, right? But the laying on of hands and prayer is, is how those men, both deacons and elders, are set apart. And why is that person designated to either be considered as a deacon or as an elder? It's because it has become evident to the church collectively in unity, right, that this person has been called for this work. And how do they prove that over a period of years? By proving themselves faithful both in the office of a deacon and then proving themselves apt to teach in uh, consideration of someone to be ordained as an elder. So the church met together collectively to ordain the deacons, and then we see that later on with the elders. Uh, Acts chapter 8, we're going to skip over that, but um, that is uh, the new converts in Samaria. They've been baptized, but they have not received the full, the fullness and the power of the gift of the Holy Ghost here in this time, the, this powerful manifestation of the gift of the Holy Ghost that is prevalent in the book of Acts. And the apostles came, and they did the same thing. They weren't ordaining them as, a, as necessarily a deacon or, or as an elder, but they wanted that special manifestation of the Holy Ghost upon these Samaritans. So what did the apostles do? They came and they laid hands on them, and then the Holy Ghost came down in a special way for those Samaritans. Okay, so I think all we have time for now is Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. And what we find here <clears throat> is that Herod has killed James, the brother of John. He's martyred him. And now he's thrown Peter in prison. So I, I know you've heard the story before, Acts chapter 12. Um, and he is miraculously let out of prison. The church had a prayer meeting. Prayer was made without ceasing for him, right? But we, you know, if, if we reach that point of persecution in America where people are thrown in prison, we need to be praying for them. But it's not just that Peter was in prison. It is very evident since Herod just killed James that Peter is going to be martyred within just a couple days. Okay, So we can't wait till next Sunday to have a special time of prayer. We can't wait to the next regularly appointed time. The body, and that's what your body does, by the way, right? What does your body do? Your body responds when there's a real pain and there's a real danger to a specific part of your body. God has wired your natural body in such a way to fully respond to that and also give you the clarity of pain to know that there's a need, right? The Lord responds the exact same way in his body, right? When there's a need, if the body's functioning like it ought to, not only will you be aware of it, but you will respond to help that. So they didn't wait till, well, you know, next Sunday we'll say a couple extra prayers for Peter, immediately when he was thrown in prison, the church galvanizes together in the home of John Mark. And verse 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And yes, no doubt that, that you know, and boy, we need to do this too, right? Send out a notification. There are there's a need, someone's sick, someone has a doctor's appointment coming up, someone has received a diagnosis, someone had lost love, whatever it is. You send out some notification, hey, everyone be praying for them. We need to do that, right? But there needs to be more, more times than we do currently. There needs to be a response to not just send every, a message out and say, hey, everybody pray for this person. We need to then come together to pray when there's a great need. And by the way, it shouldn't take somebody being two days away from having their head chopped off, right? For us to be responding that way. It should be responding that way on a much more regular basis. Now, what, what does the Lord do in response? And this just tells you, this just tells you how good our God is. Amen. <laughs> well, I'm just going to head, I'm just going to go ahead and skip to the end here. Uh, these people, they, they loved Peter. And they sure didn't want him to die. And they knew it was their duty to pray for him. 
But then he gets let out of prison. The Lord, uh, the chains fall off of his hand. The Lord and the angel walk him out the front door of the prison. And he goes and knocks on the door uh, of the house of John Mark. And Rhoda answers the door. And she's all excited because she hears the voice of Peter. And she goes and tells these faithful men that God used to build the kingdom of God who are praying for Peter to be released from prison and to be protected, she goes and tells them that God has powerfully answered our prayer. I hear the voice of Peter outside this door. And they said, you're mad. It seemed to them as idle tales. You know, we have not because we ask not, number one, right? We aren't as diligent as we ought to be in our prayer life. But... I think it's in James chapter 1. It says, let us ask in faith, nothing wavering, and we shall receive. Aren't you glad that the Lord answers our prayers even when we aren't praying in faith the way we should? Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8, aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit, you know, we all struggle with unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. And the Lord knows that, right? The Lord knows that we're but dust. The Lord knows that we are, we are weak and frail and broken vessels. So because he understands that, what does the Holy Spirit do when you pray that prayer? Maybe there's a little bit of unbelief in that prayer. What does the Holy Spirit do? <laughs> it cleans it up, and when it comes up before God, there ain't no unbelief in it. <laughs> there ain't no doubt in it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit brings it before Almighty God according to the will of God. And there's no doubt in the will of God, the will of God is always good and acceptable and perfect, right? Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit, even if I pray prayers of unbelief, the Holy Spirit can take that and bring it before the Lord as a sweet-smelling Savior. And the Lord is gracious to answer prayers even when we say, Lord's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, right? Well, you know what? If you can't think, think about this for a minute. <laughs> think about this for a minute. If, if this is the most you can think, right, and the Lord's able to do more than that, and the Lord is going to do more than that, then you can't pray, pray, you can't even fathom in your mind the capacity of what the Lord will end up doing, right? So what does the Lord do? The Lord takes the limitations of your prayer. You may have put a cap on it and say, you know what, this is the most the Lord can do. You know, this is the, this is the best possible scenario. This is the maximum capacity. And boy, that's the way I think, <laughs> right? This is the best maximum capacity of the way this prayer could be answered. You know what the Holy Spirit does? The Lord removes your limitation. <laughs> And he brings it before the Lord and says, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And the Lord can do even more than you can fathom in your own finite brain, right? So these men were not necessarily praying in faith. They were wavering because the Lord answered their prayer in a powerful way, and they were not only really shocked, they told the messenger, You're crazy, right? <laughs> Aren't you glad the Lord is so gracious to us? to answer prayers even when we don't pray the way that we ought to. But I'll tell you what they did do. They responded properly. They prayed without ceasing. You know, I, kudos to some of these other denominations that have these 24-7 prayer chain kind of things. That's good. That's good. We ought to do more, more of that kind of stuff. Because powerful things happen when the church prays without ceasing. But again, it shouldn't take somebody on the verge of being killed two days from now, probably, until the church meets together to do this. I want to close... Um, go read James chapter 5 on your own. Um, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> verse 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. He that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread will he give him a stone? The Lord's going to take care of his children. Right? And boy, if the church, that's true individually, right? It's true individually. But if the church as a whole is praying in one mind and in one soul and with one accord, earnestly submitting to the will of God, what man is there of you who's going to 
If his son asks bread, is he going to give him a stone? If he asks a fish, is he going to give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good gifts to them that ask him? Now, we have to pray submitting to God's will, right? You know, some of these prosperity people take a couple verses out of context. Whatsoever you ask, he'll give it to you. Well, if it's his will, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But where you really grow in discipleship, and you have to learn this yourself. I can, I can tell you this from the pulpit, but you have to learn this yourself, because I've had to learn it myself. You have to learn that God's will and God's timing is better than your will and your timing. And when you learn that a couple times, you feel a little bit more comfortable saying, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but that'll be done. You know, I had this plan. I thought this was the best way to do things. And maybe I circumvented that in the past. But you know what? You worked it all out. You providentially worked it out better than I would have expected. So now I'm just going to say, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And if you humbly submit to that, the Lord will bless you in his timing, in his will, as he sees fit. Because he's going to take care of his children. He's going to take care of his sheep that are hungering, and he will always take care of his, his children because he is a good, good father. Amen? He is a good heavenly father who will not allow his children to be destitute of what they stand in need of. Holy Spirit, please give us clarity for the difference between wants and needs. He will not allow us to be destitute of what we need, and He will give it to us according to His will. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.